Hello listeners and welcome back to another enlightening episode of the Counter Narrative Podcast. Today we are delving into a fundamental societal topic, workplace inequalities. I am Rihanna Ojoba and alongside me is the incredible and beautiful Tiara Oluwa Oluwa Bukumifade. Thank you Rihanna, it's great to be here again. And our guest today is Ben Weber. He's a renowned figure in workplace analytics and the president and co-founder of Humanis. He's also the author of People Analytics, how social sensing technology will transform business and what it tells us about the future of work. Ben, welcome to the Content Narrative Podcast. Good to meet you both. Uh, ben, you conducted extensive research into workplace dynamics. And one burning question is why women who put in the same effort and time as men often get paid less for the same job. Can you shed light on the root cause of this persistent wage gap? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously there's been a lot of research in this area and it's not like the the work that we've done is uh, the only voice on the matter. But I, I think that there is this persistent idea that Oh no, because we know men get paid more than women. We know men get promoted faster than women. Like this is known, and this is true across basically every country in the world, right? And there's a, this persistent argument that oh well, one reason that that happens is that you know men just you know work differently than women. Men, you know men are better. This isn't about bias. It's about something else. And so it's a question in the past has been hard to quantitatively show, right? In terms of you know, not only in terms of hours worked, that's actually more straightforward, but in terms of, you know, we know that the networks we form at work, you know, who talks to who and how people talk to each other, we know that has a huge impact on uh, not just the performance of the team, like, again, the idea that if your team never talks to other teams, like bad things tend to happen in most organizations. Um, but also, if you tend to have a more entrepreneurial network, right, like you're able to talk to people who are executives or in other social groups of the company, that tends to lead to much better outcomes. And so there was this question was just at a behavioral level, when you look at those things, um, are there differences between men and women? And the short answer is we actually looked at, um, we've done this in at a number of companies, but specifically we looked at a combination of looking at data from email, chat, media data, even actually in this case, sensor data about who talks to who in person, sort of give people these next generation ID badge that doesn't we can talk more about the privacy implications if it's of interest, but it, you know the the short version is that we also are able to look at face to face networks, and this is a lot of data, and you can analyze it in many many different ways, which we did. We tried to look at many many different features and see could we come up with you know sets of features where men and women differ, um, and the reason that would actually be a good thing is that if there was a difference, right, then you could say oh well if you know, women just do this thing, or if men just do this thing, then we'll get to equal outcomes, right? And um, we didn't find any of those, right? Like essentially what we showed was that men and women across essentially any um, quantitative dimension you can look at, essentially, you know, behave in the same way at work, you know, in general, and um, lead to different outcomes. I mean, I will say we're not looking at what people say. We know there's differences, for example, in terms of how people, men and women, ask for promotions, longer discussion there. But in terms of the actual day-to-day -day work, right, how we spend our time, how we communicate with others, there is there are not systematic differences between men and women, um, which obviously I think has has a lot of implications. Oh, fantastic, thank you. 
Okay, so in your article on how men and women are treated differently at work, you mentioned um, weighted centrality. Could you expand on whether fear of sexual harassment is holding women back yeah. from socializing or spending time with the boys' club? Yeah, I mean, part of it, this is sort of somewhat beyond my area of expertise. So I can, I mean, I can say that, um, you know, I think what the data shows pretty clearly in general is that the differences in outcomes are primarily due to things that aren't in an individual's control. They're much more around, you know, systematic bias, um, both in terms of the organizations, other individuals, you know, companies themselves, as well as just, you know, gender norm expectations on how people should act. And so from that perspective, yes, you would hypothesize that things like sexual harassment, and there's other folks who've done obviously much more work on this than I have, who have shown that like, um, there was actually a fascinating study, and I can I can send um, get the exact um, details afterwards. That looked at um, after um, male executives, if they were accused, for example, of sexual harassment, um, what happened to them and uh, the the victim afterwards. And essentially, what you <laughs> you saw was that on average, um, at least this is this is U.S. data, but on average, there was um, men basically saw almost no um, detriment to their career trajectory in terms of future promotions, in terms of even when they go to, to other organizations, you know, getting other jobs. Whereas the victim in those cases, which is the vast majority of the time women, um, saw pretty significant um, career impacts in terms of either being fired much more quickly than you would expect, in terms of not getting promoted as quickly. And so I think that is certainly a piece of the puzzle. I guess what I would also say, though, is I don't think that we should believe that eliminating sexual harassment, even though that is obviously a very good thing, that will not bring equality or equity. It will not. There are so many other things, and I think this is what at least our study was showing, was that everything in terms of behavioral perspective can be equal, and then there are still differences, right? Because I can say, at least in the organization we studied, luckily, there were not instances of sexual harassment when we were there. Um, in terms of being formally documented, I mean, could there have been something unreported? Sure, but I, I, it seems like it's much more about these uh, societal expectations, gender norms. You know, we expect men to be powerful, like men are leader. Again, th these things have to change, and that is very hard and going to take a lot of time. And I think we should be prepared for that if that's what we want. Thank you so much for that response. The underrepresentation of women in leadership roles is a glaring issue, and only 7% of companies are led by women. And this trend persists across various fields. Does this statistic imply that men are inherently more competent than women at workplace? So, um, obviously, it does not. There's this question around you know, what, because we, again, we know these, these statistics, right? We, we know these things. It's a question of what drives this. And there's a, there's a whole number. The short answer is there's not one single thing, again, which is really frustrating that drives this. One really interesting study, um, and again, I can, can send the link afterwards, it was pre presented at NBER, this is like National Economics Conference a few weeks ago, um, essentially showed that um, the rate of like large promotions for men and women early in the career are different, but that once women pass like childbearing age, then promotions happen at the same rate. And so the implication is that um, essentially organizations, whether um, 
you know, you'd probably argue that most of the time unconsciously, but certainly some of the time it is going to be conscious bias. Um, say, okay, well, we don't know if this women, woman is going to have kids and then take care of the kids and then not be as engaged. So we're going to not promote them quite as quickly. Again, this also steps to the side of the fact that, well, why doesn't the man spend as much time with the kids as woman? Again, another discussion, which there's this assumption, right, that women take care of kids. And I think that's another thing that's going to hold this back. And the reason that's important is that to become, for example, the CEO of a company, right, not many people become CEO. And so these promotions, especially early on, like if you miss out on them, you're just much, much less likely to become an executive. And again, importantly, that's not just for women, that's for men as well, right? Men who are not promoted as quickly earlier on are much, much less likely to you know, become CEO, right? And so this is one of the things where, again, there are so many things that happen before you are CEO. Of course, there is also conscious bias when people are um, actually interviewing people for CEO roles. So typically, you know, boards will say, okay, well, um, we want someone who's done this before, right? And this is very common. We're like, we want someone who's already been an executive. Well, again, what does that mean? Well, the vast majority of executives right now are men. If all you do is say, we're going to select someone who's already done it, you're much more likely to select a man, right? And that's, that's what's driving this, right? Um, particularly because when you look at, you know, business performance results, there, there aren't discernible differences between men and women led companies. I mean, obviously, the number is very low for women, right? So it, it really implies, again, that it's just these both at the, the level of selection, which again, I'm not saying that doesn't matter. But I would argue we can't just focus on the level of selection of like when someone becomes a CEO, it's so good. If we have more, for example, you know, women, you know, CEOs, and that changes starts to change the societal assumptions we have about, you know, who is a CEO. And right now, especially in the US, people think about some old white guy, right? Yes. Like that's what you think about. But, and the exercise is to change that perception. Like the idea should be that we shouldn't have some default demographic uh, when we say CEO. Like maybe the person should be slightly older because in general, like you have to prove yourself, so fine, right? Beyond that, there probably shouldn't be anything. Um, and I think that's the exercise, but changing that again, just to be very clear, like, I think we should all be clear eyed about it. This is not something that we can change in five years, 10 years, even like 20 years. This is, this is multiple generations. You know, we've had, we've had sexism in humanity since like yeah. we started existing. And so I think it'd be hubris to say, oh, we're going to solve that in 20 years, like in our lifetimes, like that'd be great. But I don't think that's likely. I think if we're able to solve it in like a hundred years, that would actually be really good. I think it's very hard. But again, we have to have that perspective that this is not something that's short term. We have to keep doing things and the payoff will be in the far future. There'll be some things we can do now that will have an effect, right? Like as you were saying, eliminating sexual harassment, will that have an effect in the short term? Absolutely. And we should do that. There's obviously other reasons we should do that as well, right? But there are other things like if you have, for example, if you're a company, you have a new product, and I know we'll get into what companies can do in a bit, but if you're a company, you have a new product and you have a, you know, you might not have many female executives, but if you have one of them announce a new product, right? That is very important actually for the long-term, you know, goals that we have in terms of equality. But that's not going to mean that next year, all your executives are half women, right? But you have to keep doing that, right? And just knowing that you're slowly changing the availability heuristic. So you mentioned something about um, gender equality, achieving gender equality, and you mentioned that yes. So I wanted to chip in something about the fact that you know the UN says I think it, I think in 2021 it says we're going to 
102 yeah. years to reach gender equality but now in 2023 because of the covid and because of what we can see happening they're saying to take at least 300 years for us to reach gender equality yeah so I guess, okay, if it actually took 300 years, I actually personally, now to be fair, right, I am extremely privileged here, right? Like, I'm a white guy, and so for me, this is not existential, like it's not, right? So my opinion on this is like not actually that important, just honestly. <laughs> I guess my view though is like, what I worry about is not that it'll take 300 years. Like, obviously that's a long time. But I sort of view it from the perspective, okay, we've had, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of human history leading to this point. If we could actually get rid of it in 300 years, I wouldn't feel that bad of it. Like, I, that sounds pretty good. How, again, to me, and I'm privileged, I, again, I just, I admit that. However, what I actually worry about is more of like a plateauing effect, right? Is that, and we've seen this especially in the US, where there was a period of, you know, rapid growth in participation in the labor force for women, for example, you know, you go back, um, you know, to the 70s and 80s and then into the early 90s. And then it's mostly like plateaued and very, very, very slowly increased. But what you worry about is that that will just sort of stay fairly flat. Right. And I do think that that's likely without change. So that's what I actually worry about is you know, I think that if we're being honest, even if we do, you know, we try more things and we push this up, I still do think it will take, you know, I'm hopeful not 300 years, but I do, again, I do think on the order of magnitude of like 100 years, I think is probably a more reasonable assumption. But again, th those, those kind of, you know, I think goals are very hard for any organization or individual to set, right? Like if the UN says, we're going to solve this, I mean, and the UN obviously also has other and companies have other goals where they're trying to galvanize countries to do things now. And so if you actually say it's going to take, you know, the, this goal is for a hundred years in the future, no one's going to care. I mean, I would hope people would care, but if we're being honest, we're being honest, people are going right? So I do think that's probably one of the reasons to do this. Um, but I do think that what I worry about is organizations and countries you know, not are not going to make nearly as much progress as is needed to get to anything close to equality from any stretch of the imagination. I mean, we're talking about changing, like to really get to this, the things you'd have to do are that like your gender actually doesn't matter, which is hard. Like this is very hard. Like just think about what this means. That would mean that, okay, let's say a heterosexual couple has a kid, let's say, right? What it would mean to get to equality would mean that who stays home to take of that infant is random. It should be 50-50. Like sometimes it should be the man, sometimes it should be the woman. That would actually be like, it It should be unrelated to, to gender. It should be who wants to do it more, right? Like that's what it, again, if that's what, so think about how far we are from that. And even in countries that people speak, like try to point to like the Nordic countries, like Sweden, Norway, what have you, women still take way more time with the kids than men. And actually a lot of the, data on lagging promotions is from Sweden because they release a lot of their data publicly. And so even in countries that have done an awful lot to get to that point, they still haven't touched these societal expectations. And it's very hard. To, that's very hard to do. And there's a lot of political risk at doing that for, you know, uh, governments, for companies. And I understand that. 
but I do think that is what that is what it will eventually be necessary to really get to this point. Thank you very much. This brings me to the next um, question for you about gender equality. You know, gender equality is a crucial sustainable development goal, SDG 5. But we continue to witness unequal pay and a lack of representation for women. Women are not represented in policy making level yep. in companies. What do you think companies can do to achieve this, uh, to achieve gender equality in, maybe not like completely, but to bring more to policy making levels in their, in their companies? So I think that there's a lot of different things that can be done. I think probably one of the strongest things that can be done for companies in let's say the short to medium term is relating gender equality metrics to executive pay right? and this is controversial but i think the reason that that this is important um i do think there's this obviously social goal here but i think we don't actually have to what's very nice about organizations is we actually don't have to lean on that there's now at this point decades of research that companies that have a more you know, diverse employee base, that have a more gender balanced executive team perform much better financially, right? If all you care about is making money, like it is your fiduciary duty if you run a company to have more women in leadership roles, actually to be, you know, um, you know, to actually represent the population, right? Like that is actually your job. And so to the extent executives aren't doing that, they shouldn't be paid as much. Just it's very straightforward. Now, what that means, though, is, again, it's it's easy to say from the outside that's what that should should look like. I think what has to what has to happen, though, is companies need to be, you know, much more strategic about, OK, where where do they recruit you know, new employees? How do they promote people? Right. And what are the gender disparities in terms of promotion rates? Right. And this idea that. Um, you know, again, if you use qual, if, if it's just, you know, your boss likes you, are there gender biases there? Like maybe, like probably a lot of times there will be, but sometimes there won't be. But then if there are, we have to change that in a similar way. If you say, um, you know, we use quantitative metrics, we use ratings, right? Are there gender biases in that? Well, if there are, again, it's highly likely that's not actually due to differences in performance. It's due to a flaw in that metric. It, it reminds me, there was a study done of a very large um, uh, retailer that has a very systematic uh, performance rating for frontline workers. They have over you know a million employees globally. And when you looked at the performance and potential rating, so they had two sets of ratings for each employee. They had potential and perform, like current performance, right? Potential is like, how good will this person probably be as, an, like, as a manager or as an executive? Whatever. And what was, what you could see though, is you could see, well, when, when men and women got promoted, right? Cause some women still did get promoted, but men were much more likely to be rated as high potential, despite the fact that actually women on average had slightly higher current performance ratings, right? It was statistically significant, but it was higher, right? But men were more likely to be promoted. They were more likely to be rated as high potential. But then what you could see is once they got promoted, what was the performance rating? And essentially what you saw was women who were just on the cusp of getting promoted, who still got promoted, performed much better than one would expect from their score. And actually, this is on a five-point scale. Um, if you added a point to a woman's potential score, that actually was a better predictor of, you know, their their future performance um, than doing than just losing their normal score, which that's really bad. 
That means you basically, there's a 20% in this organization, like a 20% cut of a woman's potential score, right? And so again, these are things that organizations can do. Like you can, you can fix that, right? And I think that there, people are going to have to get uncomfortable with, okay, we're going to promote people or we're going to hire people. We're going to get people from the outside. We're going to hire them into leadership roles. And they're not going to look like people we've hired before. Because if all you do is hire people who look like you hired before, it's going to keep looking like it is today, right? And so people are going to be uncomfortable. And so again, the way that I think you get people more comfortable with that is you tie it to how much they're paid, right? Because if people get paid more when they do this, then they'll probably be okay being a little uncomfortable. But I do think that you know, to the extent that companies want to perform better, like you should do this. And if you're an investor in a company, and to the extent that you invest in a company that is not, you know, is less gender balanced, they're going to make less money. So it's also your responsibility to to make them do this. And I think that's, you know, probably this next step that we can do that will, you know, that will have a measurable effect in the in the short to medium. Thank term. you so much, Ben. Thank you. Uh, so let's delve into the, uh, let's delve into the topic of fatherhood bonus and motherhood penalty. Yeah. You said something earlier yeah. about if who, who stays at home between the man and the woman when we're talking about gender equality. Now, fathers tend to earn more at work due to being perceived as responsible while mothers face stagnant yes. Yes. or reduced pay because they are seen as less committed. What are your insights on this, yeah. Ben? Yeah, I mean, this is this is sort of the, the problem and there's really great studies on this using fake resumes and it's just, well, okay. It's fascinating. It's also obviously very depressing because you basically get people who, so with these fake resume studies, for those who aren't familiar, essentially what happens is researchers make a resume, right? And so it's the same as one resume. And what they do is they send that resume out to thousands or tens of thousands of job openings. And what they want to see is who gets a call back for an interview. And what they do in these studies is typically vary some things about like the name of the applicant or in the cover letter, what they write in the cover letter. And so one of the story, one of the, the studies here, um, actually out of Stanford was that, um, they varied from the name, whether it was a man or a woman. And then in the cover letter, whether they had kids or didn't have kids. And they did a follow-up lab study to, to delve into this. One. And essentially what you saw was, again, it was the men with kids who get, um, called back for interviews far more than everyone else. And then single men and single women were actually statistically identical, which was interesting. Um, but then women with children were by far the least likely to get called back for an interview, right? And despite, again, on, on paper, on their actual resume, everything was exactly the same. Again, it's the same resume, right? So this is a big problem. And again, I think that are there things that, for example, we talk about resume screening, could you develop an algorithm that did it differently that controls that? Yes, you could, right? And I think that would be positive. I still think the results that you see, again, from countries like Sweden, where yes, even when people are hired, they're still promoted at different rates, that gets a lot harder. Again, I think you can still work on, um, you know, metrics and algorithms that are correct for that. But I think what's, you know, much more important is thinking about, okay, what are policies that can encourage, you know, men and women to um, take more time off. Again, I think changing societal expectations here is very important. Um, I mean, I'll talk about, um, you know, sort of my own company, what we've done is we give, you know, men and women um, equal time off when they have a kid. But also the expectation is that you will take all the time, whether you're a man or woman. We've actually had that. We've had people take off all their time if they're a man, all their time if they're a woman, right? Um, and that is actually 
that is the expectation. There's no discussion about you coming back early. There's no, no there's none of that, right? Now, again, it, it is a little bit different because obviously if a woman physically has the kid, right, then there are, you know, some, you know, physical recovery that has to happen that a man doesn't have to do, right? But so you do get things where like, when a man takes paternity leave, do they take it all off at the beginning or, you know, likely they'll sort of stagger it, you know, with their spouse Well, they'll, okay, maybe take off a month at the beginning and then a couple months later. Okay, so I think there were discussions about exactly the timing there, but I do think that you should set the expectation that it's going to be the same, right? Like that should be, the, because again, then that, that also, if you are a, you know, a hiring manager, you're looking at hiring someone, your expectation is, well, you know, if they're, if they're going to have a kid, like, it doesn't matter if they're a man or woman, they're still going to be taking this time off. And so you have no, shouldn't have any incentive to even subconsciously discriminate, right? Again, I don't think, just to be clear, I don't think that even fixing this in an organization level, fixing it. I think doing things in an organization level won't completely solve it. Um, it, you know, will take pretty constant effort. It, I think this is much more of a societal conversation. And this gets into even things like how you know, how do governments structure benefits um, or support for having children? And is that tied to um, to being a mother? Is it tied to being a parent, right? And then again, even in places like Sweden where men and women can trade time off, right? The woman still gets more time off, right? The woman still takes gets two years, a man gets one year, right? Um, and that's a lot of time. Like, again, if I got that off, that'd be amazing. We'd love that. However, you're still saying, it's the woman's job to take care of the kid. Like, that's what you're saying, right? And you have to change that, right? Now, and again, I'm not pretending that if the Swedish government, for example, made it equal tomorrow, would that actually change the percentage of women and men who stay home the next day? No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. But over time, it would have an effect. It would, right? And I think, again, we have to have that long-term perspective because these are very long-term problems. To me, it sounds like women get punished for having children because you have a, we have a child. You take yes. more time off, so then moral penalty comes in. And now we have with so many households, we have so many yeah. women um, as breadwinners. But the person that gets the bigger check is the father who is seen as responsible because oh, it's yeah. a newborn. Forgetting yeah. that the person which is the mom at home is doing all the work and would. Most need money to do some yes. personal stuff for herself and her child. Yes, you know, you know the it's funny. It's so part. unfair, and like you said, it's a conversation. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's so unfair. It's it, so absolute unfair. garbage. No, no, it's absolute garbage. Absolute garbage. And this is like, it, it, again, it, it was interesting because actually, um, again, even when um, when my wife and I had our first kid, um, I was actually in the last year of my PhD, and she had a real job. Um, so she actually made a bunch more money than me, which is great. Um, but what was, you know, I also was naively like, oh, I can work a day from home and take care of the infant, which you can't do that. Just heads up for everyone. If you haven't had a kid yet, you can't do that. Um, so I didn't get any work done those days. But, but again, that was like, it was, that was not expected, right? And, but again, that was still, I got, I got lots of people like, wow, you're, you're taking care of your kids. Like, how responsible are you? My wife, when she stayed home, take care of nothing. Like literally nothing. People, people are like, oh, that's just what you're supposed to do, right? And yeah, so again, like I get credit and she doesn't, you know, um, that, that's, it's garbage, right? It is incredibly unfair, right? And this, like, again, for, for everyone's sense of fairness, I, again, I, I, 
I don't understand. I mean, I guess I understand that people like generally like things to stay the way they are. And like, that's one of the reasons for this, but that's a pretty bad reason for keeping this demonstrably unfair state of affairs. Like it's, it's a bad reason. Um, anyway. Um, and again, also just, just to be clear, not that this is my area of expertise, but I've read a bunch of the papers on this and people should feel free to read papers on this. There is no data that, for example, having the, the father stay home more with the kid leads to differential outcomes for the child, right? So just to be clear for people like, oh, like the mothers are better at taking care of the kid. Like that's actually just not true. Um, so people shouldn't use that argument. I know. Oh, you know, no. So, so this is, so this is the thing, right? Like, so, okay. Like we understand these things, but I think most people, they just don't want to hear them. Right. Because then it means like, especially if you're a man, it means like, okay, if you're not taking care of the kid, you're shirking responsibility, right? You're using the unpaid labor of, you know, the mother of your kids to, you know, to basically support yes. whatever it is you're doing. Right. And again, also the women, like, you know, to the extent that a woman is taking care of the kids and then performing well at work, like that's insane. Like the amount of effort that takes, like that's impressive, right? But again, no, they're not getting, you know, not getting that as, because again, it might be that they're, you know, working, you know, you know, hard and working well, but maybe they're less likely, I don't have data on this specifically, but just as a, you know, maybe a thought exercise, you know, imagine that um, men who have kids are just as likely to respond to emails from their boss at night, right? As they were when they didn't have kids. But imagine, you know, a, a woman who is also taking care of kids is exhausted and actually like tries to get some sleep and is less likely to respond to emails like at that time, right? Now that will, again, that will create a differential um, perspective, you know, in their boss. They, oh, wow, well, like, you know, yeah, she's good, but she's not responding, you know, she's not really responsive like these men are, right? Again, and not that they're necessarily thinking that consciously, but they will at least happen unconsciously, right? Which again is... Like, it's ridiculous, right? Like, that doesn't actually matter for outcomes. And so, again, I, I think we really have to to do some work to start to change these things. And there is, again, I don't think there's easy answers, which sucks. Like, I wish there, I wish there was something where we could just change it and then, like, in five years, things would be equal. But I, I really think, yes, there are some very bad things we can fix over the next, like, decade. But then there's going to be some there's a lot of long-term work that we've got i agree that there are no easy answers in a place here like in nigeria when it comes to the question of who stays home you've had it's, a, it's always by default you people will tell you oh, do you, you expect your husband to quit his job and stay home with the baby so you're looking at yourself like okay so you have to because what choice do you have? Even if you're earning more than your yes. partner. Even if you earn more, it is uh, your yeah. husband has to help yeah. and yeah. take care of the baby. He should be out there working. It's it's really unfair. Well, well, and this is the thing, is especially if, you know, at least from, you know, my outside perspective, if I look at places, you know, like Nigeria and like Lagos as, you know, a burgeoning tech hub, right? Um, that has a lot of potential, you know, it clearly is growing very quickly. But then you look at things like what you're just saying, that is absolutely going to be a cap on that growth, right? I mean, like a hundred percent, right? If you're competing, if you're competing with companies, right? If you have, you know, folks like Flutterwave who, you know, are, are going to, you know, start trying to take on, you know, global tech companies. Well, again, if you've got an American tech company who, not that they're great, right? But who do a better job, you know, supporting their female employees and have higher participation, they will perform better. Like you will not be able to compete. And so I think that, you know, 
I am hopeful that even in, you know, in places like Nigeria and other places, there can be this conversation that whatever you morally think, just, just put that to the side for a second, right? Do you want to make more money and actually can grow the economy, right? Like, yes. And if you do, then this is something you should do, right? Um, you know, if you don't, you get, and again, just for some context, I, I have lived in Japan for a while. I'm not, not right. I live in Boston now, but, um, you know, I studied abroad in Japan, lived in Japan for a while. Um, and, you know, Japan has this real problem. It's just sort of, it's not, it, it's sort of the opposite of Nigeria where the population is shrinking, right? And one of the problems they have is that, you know, it, it's, it's very similar in terms of once a woman in Japan has a kid, they are expected to quit. That is the expectation. And again, of course, the man is not expected to quit. There's all these things around that, right? The government is desperately trying to change that, right? But they're at this point where it's already really bad, right? Like this is a very bad thing that's already happening. And so what you hope is that in a place like Nigeria that has not reached that point and probably won't for a very long time, you can at least see what's happening in some of these countries that have reached a point where this is this is a really big problem and that we have to fix it. So. Yeah, I mean, again, I think these are hard things, but I do think that hopefully maybe a competitive spirit can uh, can help grease the wheels a little bit in terms of moving some of this. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, this conversation about tech, about Lagos and Nigeria becoming uh, a tech hub, there was a conversation recently about how there's a gender gap in tech. There is, like, yeah. especially in Nigeria. Yeah. Like you, so there were women, like young girls sharing their experiences about how a lot of times when they want to learn something tech related, but then they are living with their parents who also have other children, maybe male, but then they have to clean, they have to cook, they have to wash. There was a particular lady that talked about how her parents even didn't give her the laptop. They gave somebody else in the house who didn't even need it because they felt, oh, you're a girl, you don't need it. You just finish school and then you gotta marry a man and all of that. So it's 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 really it's really crazy but we're hoping that these conversations we are having will um enlighten people and make them see they make them see that there's a better way to do things and i also like the point you made about how if companies want to make more money they need to work towards gender you know yes that's yes. going yes. to really yes. work for them like though they yeah. want to make more money so let yeah. me bring more women on so Thank you so much for the points you made. And speaking of policy, if, if so many policies are put in place for women, women would really exceed at work. I think women exceed um, women are exceptional at the home front, and they would also exceed at work if there are policies in place. For example, no tea. Imagine I just had a baby and I'm supposed to resume in, a, in after ninety days, and maybe my company there's somewhere in the building that has a crash so there's a daycare so it means that at three after the 90 days i can resume with my help and maybe in the company's crash there are people that i would help with your child so that way you're able to focus at work you're able you, you get to be productive because if you're at work and the baby is home you're constantly thinking what's happening what's the nanny doing you're afraid and you cannot be as productive because you can't concentrate but if there's a daycare downstairs maybe at your break time every, every almost all company has an hour break you can just go downstairs see your baby breastfeed your baby it gives you a sense of it helps you work, it helps better, you work better because you feel safe just you know your baby is just down the office and when it's closing time everybody yeah. goes home together so if we have so many policies in place women will thrive everywhere i would not be having conversations of oh you have to quit because it's only the man that brings home the bread 
because now we have so many female breadwinners in almost all households everywhere exactly and then and then the other thing of course is of even if you're the company right so not only is then your employee able to focus more but then you're much more your employees are much more likely yes. to stay at the company right like they are and so it's like it is the logical thing to do i think again the challenge is always it's a different way of doing things right like most companies because they both have been run you know by men don't think about oh like hey we should have like childcare and the first floor of the headquarters like i don't that's not a, a, something that comes into their mind but again one reason why having you know people from different you know different demographic groups whether this is women whether this is you know lgbtq folks like whatever having people from different perspectives leads to better outcomes because they know things that, like i would not know as an example right and so i think that you know again i would just argue even for people who like if all you care about is making more money you should still do exactly. this exactly like so because I, I, I think that's probably the hardest group like for people who just like you know um again for, yeah, for people who, who understand the moral um reason to do this right then they don't need to know they make more money like it doesn't matter like it's just this is about fairness about equality you know i think there's this other group of people which is a large group of people who doesn't care about that which is really unfortunate but who probably still cares about making money and so like let's at least try to get those folks over and then there'll be some people left over but you know those people left over i mean this is the, the good thing about this is that you know because we know the companies that that are more diverse you know that um you know are more successful then we actually know that over you know not even that long couple decades the companies that you know are actively discriminatory against women will just cease to exist right and so it will sort of eventually work itself out now again ideally it goes faster than that but i do think like you know we just need more companies to start getting in this area and i think that is that is starting to happen but yes i, I think in you know there's some places where where it's you know we, there's more work I agree. Than others. and hopefully more companies will hire more women because yet at interview stages or you hear women say that oh i got interviewed i made it to the third yeah. stage or the final stage and you're being asked uh when do you want to get married because well, when they think children. do you have children when they think marriage they think maternity leave they think you live in for three three months or four months and it makes us at a disadvantage and we for saying that it would take almost yeah I mean, they're not they're not asking the men when are they you gonna get married no no i mean they're not, they're not they know they're not, that you can't no. you can't get pregnant and women are lying actually yeah, 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 yeah. no apparently they're lying when they when they ask them that yes question. Yeah. i want oh, sure. no, you, yes. you should 100 100 percent lie 100 100 yes. right like no no they have no business asking you that question anyway and so okay like if that's what they're gonna do then it's not gonna like please please but again that puts the person in a very bad position because then let's say they hire you right you, then you have your wedding ring on or something yes. you know the next like that right so th this is the challenge right is that like yeah you like you do whatever you got to do right but there is gonna like again that doesn't just saying like oh if women lie that's going to solve everything like no it won't because then like they'll still be discriminated against even if they are exactly. hired right um and again what you have to what you know and it's challenging because if you know you're a woman in that position you know that's probably not if someone if a company asks you that you probably don't want to work there but you might not have much of a choice right like if you want to break into tech and this is the one place that interviewed you right like that's a hard decision to make it's very hard right and that's just it's it's so unfair it is so unfair and so this gets to where you know again if you're an executive at a company 
and your goal is to have higher performance, it is your responsibility to fix this. Like, and if you fix this thing, these things, you will perform better. Like, period. It is, it is indisputable, right? So, like, <laughs> that, that's all we've got. You know, again, and if at that point you just, I'm still not doing it. Well, it's, it's not. I can't help you. Thank you. Thank you so much for the insightful answers to all the questions we've had. It's been a wonderful interview with you. And thank you for the work you're doing with your articles, your book about um, enlightening people about the fact that, you know, people always think that women are inferior and, and less intelligent than men. But then you're out there as a man, as a white man, <laughs> as a privileged yes, yes. white man trying to narrative yeah, and trying to enlighten people so well done and thank you so much for all you're doing okay well thanks so much for having me i really really enjoyed the discussion workplace inequalities are deeply rooted but conversations like this are vital to paving the way for change absolutely tiara as we reflect on this discussion let, let's turn a spotlight to you our listeners do you have any questions about ben weber or personal experiences with workplace inequalities Connect with us on social media and let's continue this vital conversation. And that's a wrap for the central part of today's episode. We've explored critical issues in workplace inequality and it's evident that change is long overdue. Indeed, Tiara, but change starts with awareness and these conversations are instrumental in sparking that awareness. Thank you listeners for joining us on another episode of the Counter Narrative Podcast. Until next time, remember to keep questioning, challenging, and amplifying your voices. Stay curious, stay informed, and remember, your perspective matters. <laughs>